The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hi, this is Lucy Arnaz. You're listening to TV Confidential. Ed Robertson welcoming you back to TV Confidential, radio talk show about television. When I lived in San Francisco, folks, one of my favorite radio hosts had an occasional feature on his show called Brush with Fame, where he would invite listeners to call in with stories about their chance encounters with famous people, you know, celebrities from all walks of life that you may have bumped into or at least briefly met while at the gym, at a restaurant, in a hotel lobby, in the bathroom, or some other ordinary everyday circumstance. That, more or less, is what we're going to do this segment as we welcome our next guest, Dan Harari. Dan has worked in public relations for movies and television for about 40 years, so running into celebrities is not exactly uncommon for someone in Dan's profession. What makes Dan unusual is that he is one of those people who has somehow managed to attract famous people one way or another ever since he was 15 years old. Not just celebrities from movies and television, but Playboy Playmates, porn stars, two Apollo astronauts who walked on the moon, and even a vice president. Many of Dan's stories are funny, strange, offbeat, or simply Hard to believe. There also, there's at least one or two stories that I personally relate to. We'll get to that in just a second. Dan has put all those stories together in a fun new book that we'll tell you more about later, later on in our conversation. Dan Harari, welcome to TV Confidential. Thank you, Ed. Great to be here, man. I understand you became a publicist by accident. That's absolutely true. It's not something I ever planned on or, or, or really, truly pursued. Uh, I'll give you the thumbnail real quick. I grew up in Asbury Park, New Jersey, the Jersey Shore. In high school, I worked at a rock concert hall when I was 15 to 18. I had very long hair. I was a drummer. And I was the stage manager of a little concert hall. And the, the major story there is Bruce Springsteen used to play there before he was famous. So I worked at Bruce Springsteen in 73. When I was 16 years old, I worked at Kiss. I worked at Fleetwood Mac and other bands before they got famous as a teenager. So my, my love in early life was rock and roll music. I went to Boston University. I studied communication. And, and what's funny is I studied everything at BU except public relations. <laughs> I studied marketing, advertising, journalism, 
production, radio production, filmmaking, every single thing except, uh, literally, except public relations. Someone once asked me, aren't you going to take a PR class? And I said, no, I'm never going to do that. That's nonsense. I'm not <laughs> going to do PR. Turns out PR has been my love for 40 years. And I am fortunate enough to work with a lot of PR people as a result of doing this program, Dan, and many of the things that you described that you took classes in or training in, a lot of those things are are tools that you need to know if you either need to know how to do or you need to know someone who could do those things in the course of your work as a publicist. I think my strength, just sidestepping my genesis story, my strength has always been my writing. I've always been an excellent writing, even as a child. I always used to get A plus on creative writing. In college, <clears throat> the thing that I learned that best uh, suited me as a publicist was journalism, because every press release I've written, and I've probably written at least ten thousand, they're all journalistically accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's uh, I write who, what, when, where, why. I learned that. In, high, in college, and uh, that has served very, very well. Being a journalism student really, really came through for me. And here's a little inside baseball. Having written a few press releases myself, you have to know how to grab the attention of your target reader, whether it's a, a, a radio show booker, whether it's a radio show host, whether it's the editor-in-chief at a newspaper or magazine, someone that you want to either interview your client or create awareness of an event that your client or your company is, is involved in, you've got to write the press release in such a way that it grabs people's attention within the first line or if you're doing it via email blast through the subject line so that you get the hit and you get someone on the phone and, and, and you're able to you know, set up an interview and create awareness for what you're doing. Absolutely correct. I learned in my 30s, the key to a press release is the headline and the first paragraph. People used to call me the king of the head, the long headline. Mm-hmm. I've, I've written headlines Ed, that were sometimes a half or two-thirds of the page, just the headline. Because if you're just going to read the headline from a, one of my releases, you'll know, you'll know the whole pitch for the whole story. You'll, you'll get it right there. But yeah, my writing has been my strength my whole life. Dan Harari is the king of the headlines, he is also once described as the Forrest Gump of show business. Dan, one way or another, has this knack for running into famous people from music, television, pop culture, politics. He did this even before he became one of the top publicists in Hollywood. Dan shares a few of these stories, many of these stories, in a new book called Flirting with Fame, Flirting with Fame, a Hollywood publicist, recalls 50 years of celebrity close encounters. You can find Flirting with Fame, Amazon.com, and our friends at Bear Manor Media. You can follow Dan, Dan Harari, author, and Dan spells his last name H-A-R-A-R-Y, DanHarariAuthor.com or AsburyPR.com. I I assume you named your company after Asbury Park. I grew up in Asbury Park, spent my youth there. It was my... It was a dream childhood, man. It was a wonderful place to be. Anyway, getting back to my story. So I worked with Bruce Springsteen, Kiss, Fleetwood Mac, a lot of big, uh, big rock bands in the 70s. I went to Boston University. Howard Stern went there when I was there. He was two years ahead of me. Mm-hmm. I met him 10 years later in Hollywood, <clears throat> and we talked about BU. Also during BU, I met Joan Rivers, 
and she told me she was doing an event, and I met her. She told me to move to Los Angeles because I wanted to be a TV comedy writer. After college, I worked at Columbia Pictures in New York City briefly because uh, a friend, of, a buddy of mine from college got me a job. So now I was in the PR department at Columbia Pictures, major studio, but it was in New York. I had to commute from the Jersey Shore. I had to wear a suit and tie. It was a horrible, horrible job. Horrible. But I worked with Brooke Shields that summer and her mother because they were promoting the Blue Lagoon movie. And then also during that era, I almost met Woody Allen when he was shooting Stardust Memories. That's another side story. It's funny you should mention the Woody Allen story because in Flirting with Fame, you talk about how you, you know, he was your idol, because at the time you were seeing, at the time you saw your, your career arc more as a screenwriter, as a comedy writer, uh, and again, Dan is like maybe 20 years old at the time, still very much in his formative years, and he runs into Woody Allen. Now, now at this point, running into famous people is not new to you you've run into you know you, you've run into rock stars you've run into movie stars like jack lemon but something happened something very human happened that moment when you met woody allen the first time well i'm 66 years old i've met hundreds of very famous people there have only been a few times when i got either very flustered or i could not say a word Woody Allen walked past me, I was 23 years old, on the set of Stardust Memories. He was my comedy hero. I wanted to be a comedy writer. He walked right by me, and, and I literally, my, I was like, what do I, do I say, hi, Mr. Woody, hi, Mr. Allen, hi, Mr. Woody Allen, hi, Woody, hi, hi, I'm Dan, my name is Dan, nice to meet you, I, I love you, I'm your, you're making, I didn't, so many things went through my brain. He walked past me for 10 seconds. I didn't, I didn't have it formulated in my mind what to say to him, because I did not expect to see him. I just went to hang out and watch the movie being shot. He walked right by me. So I flew that one. It's one of the very few times that I've ever really got flustered. Uh, later, many, many years later in Hollywood, when I met Meryl Streep, this is my best story, when I met Meryl Streep at a photo shoot, I was so nervous, I called her Karma. <laughs> Carla was the name of the woman standing next to me. I'm, I'm, shake, I'm shaking Meryl Streep's hand, at, and I literally say, Hi, Carla, nice to meet you, Carla, to Meryl Streep. So anyone can get flustered by a movie star. Absolutely. Uh, ab- absolutely. Even someone who works in the industry. And what, what I particularly like about the Woody Allen story is I, I, I have a story like that of my own. And it has to do with Barbara Eden. Now, I moved down here about 12 years ago. When I first moved down here, sometimes I would go to these autograph shows, and when the opportunity presented itself, I would either talk to the celebrity or, more importantly, if their, if their PR person, their booker was with them, I would talk to them about you know coming onto my show, blah, blah, blah. Well, uh, I was uh, within maybe five feet of Barbara Eden. Right. And I'm about, I'm about to go in and do my dog and pony show, and I swear to God, Dan, my knees went to jelly. I mean, I started shaking like, like, like I couldn't believe, and I knew that I wasn't able to get anything out articulately, so I took a step back. And, may, and maybe at, a, at another time I might have been able to overcome that, but it kind of illustrates that 
anybody – I mean, there, there's, there's something about certain stars or what they mean to you or, or whatever. Some stars just have that effect on you. Well, Woody Allen was my – that was a big one, really, in, 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 in my inability <coughs> to be articulate. But <coughs> in 1986, now I'm in, I'm, I'm in Hollywood. I'm working at Columbia Pictures Television many, many years later, and I'm at an Alice Cooper rehearsal, of all things. My cousin is a world-famous magician, believe it or not. Bron Terrari, my cousin, world-famous magician. He was working with Alice Cooper. So I was invited to this rehearsal. As I'm watching, standing to my immediate right is Mickey Dolenz, the drummer from The Monkees. Mm -hmm. when, I, when I was 10, Ed, the Monkees, to me, the Monkees were the Beatles when I was 10. Yep. I fell in love with The Monkees. I told my parents I'm going to play the drums, and I've been playing the drums since the age of 10 because of Mickey Dolenz. I still play the drums. So when I met him, I was I was like, Mickey, you know, I've been playing drums my whole life because of you. I shake the band. He goes, thanks, that's cool, man. I hate that all the time. So he gave me his phone number, and he and I were friends for that year. He was directing the new Mike Hammer TV show. Yeah, it was Stacey Keach. Yeah. And I was working on the this, on this studio lot. At that time, Warner Brothers and Columbia Pictures were co-joined in Burbank. It was called the Burbank Studio. Mm -hmm. It was the same studio lot. They shared it then. And I used to eat lunch and see Mickey, and Mickey and I had lunch, and we would talk on the set of my camera, and I hung out with him quite a number of times that year. So that made up for my, you know, if I blew it with Woody Allen, I made up for it. With <laughs> Uh, Dan's encounters with uh, with Mickey Dolenz are just a, a few of the stories that he shares in his new book, Flirting with Fame, Flirting with Fame, a memoir of Dan's life and career in show business, which includes a lot of strange but true stories of Dan's many encounters with celebrities from music, film, TV, and politics in ordinary, everyday situations. Flirting with Fame, a Hollywood publicist recalls 50 years of celebrity close encounters, available right now, Amazon.com, Bear mannermedia.com for more on Dan Harari, danhariauthor.com or asburypr.com. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One more item if you're a fan of Elton John or know someone who is and are looking for a gift idea this holiday season. Our friends at Quarto Books have just released Elton John at 75. Elton John at 75, a gorgeous collection of Elton John's life and art told through the lens of 75 key releases and accomplishments, including curated selection of Elton John's expertly crafted singles written by rock critic Gilbert Garr, Elton John at 75, takes a deep dive into the moments and connections that have defined Elton John's career. The book also includes live concert and candid offstage photography and memorabilia right up to this year's epic Farewell Yellow Brick Road Tour. Elton John at 75, 
Elton John at 75, available now wherever books are sold through our friends at Cordo Books and CordoKnows.com. This is not Davy Jones of the Monkees, and you're listening to TV Confidential with Ed Robertson. It's groovy, man. Before we leave the subject of Mickey Dolenz, I saw him and Michael Nesmith perform a couple of years ago. The two of them did a series of concerts after Peter Tork had died, so it was just the two monkeys. And and um, Mickey looked great, and he was in great form, and he, he and Nesmith worked together. And I bring up Nesmith because you mentioned a little while ago that the monkeys were very important to you. You know, growing up as a kid, they, they, they fueled your interest in drumming. And Mickey Dolan, I understand, was not the only monkey you met. Well, I saw Mike Nesmith's very last show of his entire life. I saw the Mickey and Mike show at Creek Theater. It was the fall of 2021. Mm-hmm. Mike looked horrible. Ed. He looked pale. He looked weak and thin. He really, he looked like a ghost. I, I hate to say he looked awful. He died, I think it was four weeks later. So yeah. I saw their very, very last show ever. I met Mike briefly in 1982 in Hollywood. I was uh, working at the American Film Institute. And Mike was one of the pioneers. Most people don't know this. Mike was the creator of MTV. He literally was the creator of MTV. He doesn't get much credit for it. But at the time, in the early 80s, he was producing music videos before, really, they were, they were even called music videos. So in 1982, I'm at AFI as an administrative assistant, and Mike Nesbitt is going to give a talk to students about music videos. And I met him in the lobby right before we walked in for his, his presentation. And he said, hey, how you doing? And I go, wow, you're Mike Nesbitt. So it was like... You know, I flashed back <laughs> 10 years old again. Yeah. So uh, I only met him very briefly that one time, but I loved Mike. He was brilliant. I saw, the, listen to this, 1986, Greek theater. The three monkeys were performing, and Mike came out as, for the encore. Yeah. I saw, I saw the first time Mike reunited with the monkeys. I saw all four monkeys. In 1986, they did Pleasant Valley Sunday, and I started, literally, I started crying. I told my buddy next to me, I go, look, I'm crying, because it was, to me, it was like seeing a Beatles reunion. It was remarkable. You mentioned the last show that uh, Mike and Mickey performed together. When I saw the two of them, this was about, I think, 2018, and as I said, Mickey was in great form. He regaled the audience, and Mike would perform about five or six numbers, and then he would wander off the stage for about 10, 15 minutes. And I thought that was, you know, it, it, it looked from, this, from, the, from the vantage point of the audience, it looked kind of strange because, okay, why is he, you know, just kind of wandering off without saying, okay, I'm going to take a break. Mickey will do a couple of solo numbers. What was revealed afterwards, and this is around the time that uh, Mike took a leave from touring for health reasons, was that he was going backstage for oxygen because he was having, you know, heart problems and breathing problems, which, you know, led to the complications the last couple of years of his life. But, uh, you know, just as a fan, it was just great to see the two of them working together. And, and as a musician, you know, he was doing what he loved to do up until the very end. I saw the same thing in 1986. 
same year, my, uh, Ed. I saw them in 2018. Uh, Mickey, Mickey and Mike. It was the Mickey and Mike show. Uh, Mike played guitar. He sang. He, he occasionally left the stage. Occasionally. But he and Mickey, I would say 50-50, that performance. It was great. In fact, mm-hmm. I had the chance to go backstage, and like a schmuck, I didn't because my friend wanted to go home. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I literally, to this day, I can't believe I didn't go backstage. Anyway, the very last show they ever did that I saw, Mike did not play guitar, Ed, he did not play guitar at all. And instead of singing his famous songs, he spoke them. He was speaking the lyrics. He wasn't singing. And he went off the stage for oxygen, oh, God knows, 30 times maybe. So wow. it was very peculiar. His last show was very, very sad and very peculiar. Dan Harari is on the line with us. Dan Harari, longtime Hollywood publicist and the author of Flirting with Fame, Flirting with Fame, a memoir of Dan's life and career in show business. We'll talk some more with Dan after this quick timeout here on TV Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411. Or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.